Before we get started, I want to announce that our next Following the Fire Book Club book will be A Church Called Tove by Scott McKnight and Laura Berenger. The subtitle is Forming a Goodness Culture that Resists Abuses of Power and Promotes Healing. That will be episode 25, which comes out on August 11th. And we're really excited that our guest for that episode will actually be one of the authors herself, Laura Berenger. So grab yourself a copy, give it a read, and join us on August 11th. Now, on with the show. And I have been searching. Welcome to Following the Fire. Thanks for joining us on this journey through the wilderness. Just like Israel followed the pillar of fire and smoke, we want to take a new look at our beliefs and just follow him. And like Israel, we get it wrong a lot, we get lost a lot, but we're doing our best to, to go where God leads us. I'm Nathan. And I'm Steve. Don't you know it's all I have? But even on my heart. Well, welcome back to Following the Fire. Today is a special day. I'm super excited to have David Hayward with us today. Welcome, David. Also known, you may know him better as the Naked Pastor. I was going to say. Who's David Hayward? Who's who is this guy? Yeah, the naked. Maybe I should have said the naked pastor. Yeah, uh, alias. Yeah, mild mannered. When he takes the glasses off, suddenly it's like, oh, it's the naked pastor. But when you turn back on, <laughs> yeah. mild mannered David Hayward. That's right. I am mild mannered, actually. <laughs> so, so you may know uh, naked pastor from. Uh, I, I I discovered your art uh, on Instagram through my, through my brother. Um, oh yeah. Uh, you have cartoons that I'd describe as uh, the far side for deconstructing Christians. Um, you know, lots and lots of images that are provoking, including uh, images of Jesus series yep. and uh, art, the Sophia series um, yep. and much more. I'm, I'm not even, I feel like I'm not even, uh, that's the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, there, there's a lot. I, I do, I do a lot of, creativity stuff like I, I do watercolor paintings as well and um, images of Christ Sophia like you said cartoons on a daily basis writing um, and then just other kind of drawings uh, so that might not be cartoons might not be art or you know a painting or whatever so mm. I just I just keep creating every day I enjoy it that's what I do full-time and uh, but mo- most people know me as naked pastor through my cartoons. That's right. And you just to put it in here, you've got nakedpastor.com. You yeah. can you can find probably yeah. most most of your stuff, including a guide to deconstruction uh yeah. um yeah. email that's, that you send out. You can find me. Yeah, nakedpastor.com is pretty much the, the hub of everything I do. Cool. And you know, there you can find my books and my cartoons and prints and I've got some merch, you know, and uh, courses and uh, other things going on. So, um, but that's where you can find me, nakedpastor.com. Cool. Yeah. So I, I was just wondering if you could start off by kind of telling us how, like a bit of your story, your kind of your background, what led you to, right. uh, to, to where you are now? Well, some would say Satan, <laughs> um, but, um, the, um, I've I've been uh, doing Naked Pastor uh, for, well, since about 2005, I, I started blogging. Um, I, I, I bought the 
URL naked pastor because I was pastoring a church at the time. I, I was a pastor of churches for about 30 years. And I wanted, you know, there were a lot of bloggers out there. Blogging was at its peak. And um, I wanted to show people what the life of a real pastor was like, really honestly. So I, I wanted them to see behind the curtain and not just me talking about my sermons and the teaching and the church growth and the wonderful worship music and all this kind of stuff and my wonderful hot wife and, you know, my <laughs> amazing smoking hot wife, smoking hot wife and all this kind of thing. Uh, I wanted them to see behind the curtain to see the conflict in the church, the financial struggles, my frustrations, uh, my financial struggles, uh, my doubts and insecurities and fears and my, you know, my uh, questioning and all that kind of thing. So that's why I use the word naked pastor. It's basically me being honest and open and transparent, vulnerable, no adornments. You're going to see it as it is. So that's basically what naked pastor is about. Now, when I left the ministry in 2010, I, I had a, a tough time deciding whether or not to keep the name because it wasn't a real pastor anymore, according to some people, but other people like, no, keep it because basically you're, even though you don't have a local congregation, you're kind of doing what you did online. So um, I, I've decided to keep it. And because I, I do kind of help love helping people along their spiritual journeys. Um, and that's so basically that's what I do. But in 2005 um, or 2006, uh, there were some like I love a good cartoon. I've been an artist my whole life as so far as I can remember. And I thought, you know, I'm going to try to do a cartoon and see what happens. And I did. And it sucked, but uh, <laughs> I thought, you know what? I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to give myself, I'm going to do a cartoon every day um, until I run out of ideas. And I thought I might last a month, but here I am, you know, you know uh, 16 years later, still drawing cartoons and um, publishing them and people are buying them. And there a lot of them are known around the world. So uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I know. I, I've, I used to teach a lot of classes at our church and, uh -huh. I, I use several of your cartoons for slides of, you know, I, I remember an older one with, with uh, like the two views of church and God. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The God being squished inside the church or vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't even realize that they were related to that at some points, but yeah, you, <laughs> your, stuff is, your stuff is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's one of my most popular ones, actually. A lot of people love that one. Yeah. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. I, I see, um, you know, I get... I'll be scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or something. And I'll see my cartoon being shown somewhere in the world yeah. um, and it could be translated into Spanish or Portuguese or Russian mm -hmm. or French or Chinese or something. And it's, it's just, uh, I, I just find it fascinating that, um, you know, my cartoons are, some of them go pretty viral and it's, it's pretty neat to see. When, when you were first uh, drawing cartoons, when you first started, is yep. that when you were still uh, working at a church pastoring? Yep. Yeah. So I, yeah, I started drawing cartoons at about 2006 and I left four years later. Okay. And I, I think they are related. <laughs> <laughs> the car the cartoons were the, the possibly the cause or the, yeah. the catalyst or the, the vehicle. A lot of my, a lot of my people. Yeah. So naked pasture was pretty new. Um, and a lot of my people were like, why would we read your blog? We already have to listen to you every week. <laughs> and, um, and and so my I was pretty obscure, but then some of my cartoons would go viral 
and um, I often write a caption with them or, you know, a little bit of a post and because uh, I do love to write and share my thoughts. And um, it got to the point where Naked Pastor was becoming pretty well known and uh, I was starting to hear rumors and my people, my church was starting to hear rumors from other churches, local churches and pastors that I was a heretic and backsliding and I was leading them astray and I no longer believed in God and all this stuff. And then finally I got a, a phone call from my superiors basically telling me that I should run my post through them first for approval. And mm. uh, I knew my time was up and sure enough, it was a year later when I left. So. Oh. Do you think you would have, you think you're on the path of leaving anyway? Had that not, was it just kind of a catalyst or what? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I think I did see some signs that I always struggled with the ministry. I, I always did. But, um, and I always wanted there to be clarity when it was time for me to leave for, for my own health and for the church's health. Like I didn't want to stay until I was a wreck. Yeah. And I didn't want to stay until the church was a wreck. So I needed to know, I wanted clarity when, when to leave and so that we both could go our separate ways amicably. But I was starting to hear rumors that people were talking and I knew, you know, things, you know, my blog and everything was getting more famous. And uh, so I knew things might get more difficult. And uh, I, I love the church. Uh, it was a wonderful place for me to grow, but I found the, I found the boundary and <laughs> I'd crossed mm. the line somehow. And I knew I either had to rein myself back in, which I'm not prone to do or <laughs> keep going and suffer the consequences, which is what I did. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, f I feel like my own, um, anytime I see someone that is outside of my boundary that I'm comfortable with, wait a minute what what are you doing here i remember uh that's happened to me multiple times but i i know what that feeling is like like what is that what's going on here yeah um and i wonder what what it is in in churches or communities that that kind of causes us to have that reaction sometimes mm -hmm. well it, it's it's funny we're all pretty it, I think it's a human problem where we're we're prone to conform to the group and to the standard and to the statement of faith and, and all that. It's it's not a religious thing. It's a human thing. You have it in any kind of any kind of group. You know, I, I, I know I've been in sports groups or men's groups or uh, Toastmasters groups or you name it. And there every group has this sort of unspoken code. Uh, and if, if somebody acts strangely or outside of those parameters, then it's going to just raise questions. I, and I do a lot of cartoons about that where we're, there's a lot of pressure on us to conform and stay in the group mm -hmm. and it yeah. starts with our families and works its way out. And, you know, church, church is really excellent at that actually. Um, and, and it's got it down to a science where we are really 
the, the pressure to conform and uh, in order to belong is is very very strong. Hmm. So you you started drawing cartoons as you were a pastor for and for uh, four or five years. You said, mm-hmm. um, how has your how has your art changed throughout the years, and how has your theology changed throughout the years? Well, um, I hope my cartoons have gotten better um, because I. I was, I, I like to use as few words as possible to convey what I mean. And I do the same with my art. So even my watercolor paintings, for example, often I'll just use one color um, mm-hmm. and just to create that impact on the viewer. And I do that with my cartoons. If I can get away with a couple of pen lines and a couple of words, I'll do it. And I won't add color. I won't do any. I, 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 I'm a minimalist when it comes to that stuff. <clears throat> so I hope my cartoons are getting better at that, at getting more more punchy. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. So if I, the better the picture, the clearer the message is. So that's, I think, I think my, my art is, I hope it's improving uh, in that area, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah, my, my theology has changed, obviously, of course, like it, it should, like we should be changing our minds. And, um, and for me, it, it's become more and more open. So, uh, you know, I, I remember when my deconstruction started, uh, I remember the moment. It was in seminary when I started questioning the inspiration, infallibility, and inerrancy of Scripture. I was a Bible holic, like seriously, I was full on a Bible freak. And I went to Bible college. And then I went to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary and, and got a master's in New Testament studies under Dr. Gordon Fee and you know, all this stuff. Like I was wow. serious. I took Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Like I was in the deep end, whole hog. But then on the day of my graduation, I was like, oh my God, like and for me, it was like the Jenga block tower where the, the bottom block is the inspiration of scripture. And that had been pulled and everything hinged on that. Like if the, the Bible isn't true, then every, all my theology and all my beliefs hinged on that, rested on that. And if that was pulled, everything was shaking. But, you know, that's where it began. But it took me, you know, my whole ministry, basically, for that to happen. It was like a slow glacial melt. It was kind of like climate change. Uh, just very slow with episodes, but it took a long, long time. I know some people who deconstruct overnight, not me. It took me decades. Um, And uh, it's because I was trying to figure out how to reconcile becoming more and more open, which I felt was my necessity to become more and more open, more and more grace, more compassion, more inclusion, more universal. Yeah. But at the same time, my devotion to my roots and to the Bible and to the church and to Christianity and my spiritual family and so on. So I had that really difficult time. But in 2009, I had this sort of a epiphany um, where I need to figure out what to call it because it was a very significant moment where I saw in an instant that we're all deeply connected. There's one reality, but we all have our own way of understanding it and explaining it. And immediately peace of mind came to, to me. I mm. felt immediate peace of mind. It's never gone. And um, 
so now it was like the the resolution of that lifelong conflict and angst and struggle that I was having was resolved in that one glimpse that mm. there's just one reality that we are all a part of. We're all in. We're deeply connected on a fundamental level, um, but we all have our own way of understanding it and explaining it. And and um, that makes it seem like we're divided and separated into all different kinds of camps and tribes and denominations and so on, schools. But it's just words. Our, they're all our attempts to explain this one reality. And um, so that's where I'm at now, where I, I just assume we're all connected and deeply united. And <clears throat> you have your words and I have mine uh, that attempt to describe this reality. Hmm. That's my rant. <laughs> that's really, yeah. <laughs> the, it's, there's so many uh, follow-up questions I have uh, because there's there's so much to that. But one thing I wondered about is, because I would say S Steve and I, maybe lesser so than, than you, but let's say are from, uh, you know, high school to early adolescence in that same boat, right? Yeah. yeah. Both of us, uh, you know, chose a Christian school. Uh, and, and so then we, I know a lot of, I ended up engine, you know, majoring engineering there. So, but I know several, uh, kids who went on, you know, they're, what are you when you graduate college? 22, 24. Yeah. Uh, who went on to get masters or doctorates in theology. And then that's a crisis for them. It ends up being the same thing um, because they're, they're spending more in time taking this seriously and taking, taking a look at, at the Bible. Yeah. And, you know, kind of one thing I wonder is those people that are, are, are seminaries and Bible schools equipped to, to handle what those kids are going to go through. And also who is it that's making those, those people kind of have to make a choice. I feel like that's kind of part of. Yeah, no, no, they're not equipped. They don't want to be equipped. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just was talking to a young woman uh, just yesterday who messaged me. <laughs> and by the way, if you do message me, I'm pretty good at answering. Uh, actually, I'm excellent at answering. Um, I talk to everybody. And so um, she reached out and said, look, and I'm freaking out here because I'm graduating from a Bible college, and I need oh. to sign a document upon graduation that I will never uh, um, deviate from the biblical view of marriage, which is between one man and one woman. Whoa. And of course, she's gay and believes in same-sex relationships and marriage. And she's like, what do I do? I'm like, well, you know, you can go ahead and graduate. and But it, when you sign that document, if you ever do come out down the road, they might make you uh, hand back in your degree. Like they, they might be able to have that power. It's kind of like a, uh, NDA, you know, wow, it, yeah. so co colleges, I graduated from Gordon Conwell theological seminary, which at the time was one of the leading evangelical, um, theological schools that, that had some world, um, respect because there were people there like Scholler and um, Gordon Fee and other top-notch biblical scholars and theologians. And, um, but then after I graduated, it became even more conservative mm -hmm. and went down the super conservative right-wing kind of path. And, you know, they're not going to 
be open and embracing about a more liberal view because it wouldn't reflect their um, ethos or their statement of faith or their vision. So, and, and, you know, we see the same thing in churches. Um, you talked about adolescence to adulthood. Like if churches were more open to the idea of allowing people to grow through that phase spiritually, adolescence, where you rebel against authority, you question everything you've ever been taught, you, and you want to find your own way. If, if the church allowed people that same necessary stage in their development spiritually, I think the church wouldn't be in the same kind of trouble it is right now hmm. um, because people would be allowed to question and explore and find their own way and, you know, find their way back to their um, church family. Instead, the only way they can continue growing is by leaving or the, the only other choice is to stunt their growth uh, and stay um, or hide it. Right. So it's, uh, that's the choice the church requires and also other things like seminaries and Bible colleges and so on. Yeah. Well, you were not to sound uh, dramatic, but you just, I just kind of had an epiphany talking to you. Um, that's why I'm like so quiet about right now because <laughs> I, um, epiphanies are cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wondered, I've been wondering why I, I mean, I've been kind of slowly deconstructing since, my time as a missionary in Germany. Mm. And I like, like, yeah, I can remember the, where I was standing when, when it all kind of started going down. Uh, and strangely enough, it, I, I was standing in the church building and I, it's when I learned that the, the, the name James is actually Jacob in the original language. I'm like, well, hold on. What else has been changed? <laughs> yeah. You know? And, but, the I was wondering why it why did it accelerate around around the pandemic time, and thinking back, um, I've been so extremely involved in churches, whether it's been right. uh, teaching classes, being being the missionary. Uh, I, at our previous church, I was in charge of worship and adult education, and my wife was in charge of kids education. And I it's like I had to maintain this. Uh, I, I was pushing back a lot of things that I was starting to think through, right? And trying to maintain this this a persona sort of of the guy who's who's got it all figured out. Yep. And when when we had force had this forced distance, it's it's like finally I had this time to rethink some stuff because I didn't have to have that persona anymore. Yeah, yeah. So many people. <laughs> I mean, I talk with so many people around the yeah. world who are like, I haven't been to church now in a long time. And you know what? I'm actually, I don't miss it. Like I feel better. And, and it's like, and I knew I, I did some cartoons about this at the beginning of COVID where churches are like, Oh no, they're going to find out, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and it's true. It's too bad. I, I really do think that ch- I, I, I love the church is my spiritual mother. I, I grew up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. and will always, have a fond place in my heart for the church, even though it hurt me horribly and my family and still abuses people as we see in the news all the time. But I really do believe in the church and it's always going to be around. I don't think we should ban the church or ban religion or ban Christianity or anything like the church is going to be there, whether you like it or not, but can we please do it in a healthy manner? If the church would just get its act together 
humble itself and let people grow and experiment. It's kind of like Lisa and I with our own kids. They're three adults now. They're 28, 31, and 33. When they went through their teen years, we had to sit down and make a decision. Listen, are we going to be right or are we going to be in relationship with them? We have to make a choice. Hmm. If, are, are we going to be right all the time and make our demands and be controlling? Or are we going to be, or do we want to maintain a relationship with them and let them discover their own way? We chose the second and we're so glad we did because now we're best friends. They found their own way and they're grateful. They, they experimented and drove me crazy. I would never want to do it again. <laughs> but, um, Sounds scary. Stressful, very scary. That's why churches don't do it. That's why they, they would not dare say to their people, you need to find out for yourself. We're here for you. Because they they know they're going to lose people at least for a while, but that's that's the reality. So I I just wish churches wouldn't require us to maintain that persona and that appearance of having it all together and say you know we're all in this together. We're all on a journey. You know you might be going through your adolescent period. You might be going through your infantile period. You might be going through your young adult period. You know you might be going through your retirement period. Whatever. Uh, we're here for you uh, as a family. Um, and you might go in and go out and find pasture, but uh, we're not going to try to control you. Um, it's up to you. Uh, you. You can be independent. You can be spiritually independent. But we're here as a resource and as a family of support. I think, I think the church would be doing so much better. Yeah, I loved your recent cartoon. Uh, I think you entitled, I, uh, I Believe I'm Right. Like the, the crowd of people with the sign saying, I believe I'm right, and they're like stepping all over Jesus when his Jesus sign says, I believe in love. Right. I'm so amazed how some people get so upset over my cartoons, man. I, I, <laughs> even that one. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, I, I shared that one on my Facebook, my personal Facebook page. I shared that one and I like, I had some people griping at me for it. I'm like, yeah, it, they're like, it's not hard. Well, David, <laughs> do you really have to go there? Do you, do you have to, do you have to push the boundary that much? Couldn't couldn't you just rein it in? You know, <laughs> yeah. Jesus would never be in a march carrying a sign, <laughs> right? And, uh, um, yeah, the other people hold the signs. They he just rode the donkey. Believing in love is being right, and and you know, right thing, and you know, people just stuck in their fundamentalism. Yeah, what do you mean by love? Yeah. Yeah, man, I I definitely get because the I mean I'm almost always a little bit offended by your cartoons, so I I and and usually I'm like, well, I don't know, I don't know, yeah. and it's it's this feeling that I felt at other times, and I always equate it back to the feeling of why was it that a Pharisee was outraged that uh, Jesus was eating with you know the sinners? Mm-hmm. It was like, well, wait a minute. That can't be right. You're, why don't yeah. you go the extra step and tell them how they're wrong? Or why don't you go the extra step and, right, you know, whatever? And I'm mm-hmm. constantly having to fight that battle internally. And your art definitely, definitely helps keep the. There's a little bit of provocation there to like, oh yeah, that's, um, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm aware I'm aware of uh, the provocation for sure. Um, my cartoons can be very subversive and offensive and. But, you know, they, they challenge me, too. A lot of them come to me as sort of a, a, a message for me as well. So it's not like I, I don't feel like I'm on psych- 
some kind of a soapbox preaching down to the peasants. That it's very much. I hope every time I share such a cartoon, that I'm I'm sharing my own, you know, sense of of struggle. So, example, for example, if I'm sharing cartoons that support the LGBTQ plus community, um, I, I hopefully include myself in the in that in that group that wants to be open and inclusive and everything. And we know we're up for a challenge and, you know, challenging the church and its abuse. I've been there, done that. And, and so it's, it's, it's something that, um, yeah, and there's some cartoons now that I look at and like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to archive that one. Sure. And, um, cause it was, there was a lot of anger behind it or, or whatever. And, uh, so yeah, that's the nature of art, I guess, where it uh, provokes something, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, provokes some kind of an emotion. And uh, that's why I like my cartoons. They somehow bypass the brain and um, yeah. get straight to the, the heart of the matter. And and, uh, and it happens in a split second. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And mm-hmm. I like the speed and the efficiency of that. So that's why I keep doing it. It's definitely effective just in in I'm complicated ideas that you're like you mentioned how you work simply and minimally, you're distilling this into a really digestible format. Right. That something I really appreciate it. Sometimes there, you know, there can be orthodoxy in in all kinds of uh spaces. You know, there's yeah. conservative and far right orthodoxy, but there can be kind of a progressive orthodoxy as well sometimes. Yeah. And uh I maybe it's because you've archived them all, but I, I haven't seen a single one of your pieces that's a dunk, which is a uh dunking meaning I'm right, people who, who disagree with me are all wrong and let's oh, let's kind oh, of oh, oh yeah, good. Thank you for that. I'm I'm glad because I really do when I whenever I press post, I wanna I always ask myself over and over again, sometimes I check with other people. Um, especially if I'm addressing like racism, I have a whole bunch of, um, friends of color or feminism. I have a lot of women friends, uh, or LGBTQ plus. I have a lot of gay friends, transgender friends. I said, Hey, is this okay? Um, and, mm-hmm. and I check first. Right? right. Um, but then there's other ones where I feel I already have authority in like, uh, past pastoral ministry, church stuff, uh, spiritual abuse and, and other things where I, I can speak pretty directly and honestly too. Yeah. And that's one thing I like about the, your cartoons in general. Um, they're preachy, but not preachy at the same time. You know, they're not preachy, like, like annoying, but they, they like Nathan was saying, they, they hit you in the face. And, and I mean, to be honest, the, your cartoons have helped me a lot oh, with, cool. with some of my processing of the whole LGBTQ plus affirming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. world. And I, I, cool. I'm, I'm there now. It took, it took some time and some study and yeah. um, just, just the, just like, I, I love how they're black and white line drawings. Yeah. And then you have like a rainbow sheep or a trans colored <laughs> sheep. Yeah. And that's, it's, it sticks out so strongly. Yeah. Just like, like you said, with the minimalism, it just sticks out and makes, I don't know, go straight to your, to the, your yeah. lizard brain or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I, you know, I hear from, I re- really literally, I'm not exaggerating here from people every day, how, 
um, my cartoons have helped them and, and all that. So I, you know, I have a, a sign uh, in my study, help people. And that's what I do. I just try to help people. And uh, I love helping people. And I try to make that my point. And, um, you know, I know it challenges some people. And, uh, you know, I have the gift of blocking when it comes to, you know, getting rid of bullies and trolls who try to uh, convert or preach to the community that's gathered. But, um, yeah, generally speaking, it, uh, I, a lot of people find it pretty helpful. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, and along those lines, you do seem, to, at least recently, it seems like you have been putting out a lot of LGBTQ-affirming cartoons. Is, is there a reason why right now, or am, am I just, has it always been that way? Or Well, the last church I pastored um, was a vineyard church. Have you guys heard of vineyard? Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of a mixture of evangelical and and uh, uh, charismatic. So they, they're very strongly evangelical theology um, with a Pentecostal kind of uh, mix in there. They have very... Yeah upbeat music, kind of like Hillsong. Have you guys heard of Hillsong? Yeah. Kind of, kind of that vibe. Okay. So the last church I pastored, even though I was ordained Presbyterian, um, <laughs> I, I went to Vineyard eventually. Um, and so um, I've done some LGBTQ plus cartoons in the past, and I've even written a book uh, with of cartoons called The Art of Coming Out. Um, but a couple of years ago, the Vineyard in Canada voted to not be affirming of same-sex marriage, and it's legal in Canada. And um, it upset me, you know, even though I'd already left the denomination and so on. Um, I'm friends with a pastor of another vineyard who had to leave because they want to be affirming and provide same-sex marriage ceremonies. And so... It, it just, and I have a lot of gay friends, transgender friends, et cetera, who re- are really hurting because their churches aren't um, affirming and not welcoming them, even though they say you're welcome, but yeah. you know, you've got to change in order to stay. And uh, I'm just going to bat for them. I just, as a friend, I, I have a skill. Um, I'm, I'm, I can draw, uh, I can address the issue and I have, a little bit of a platform and a voice, and I'm using that privilege I have right now to to help my LGBTQ plus friends and family create a a more just and peaceful and inclusive world for them. So I, I really do think right now this is the hill the church is willing to die on. Yeah. So I want to raise my voice right now. I think it's extremely, extremely important. I think it is like a a line in the sand right now. And I have friends that go to a church and it's very popular and they say everybody's welcome, but they're not LGBTQ plus affirming. Although you're welcome there, they expect you to to change or or to convert. Yeah. Or, uh, and not, not no same sex relationship or anything. And you can not serve in any capacity in, in the church. And I'm like, you do realize, don't you, that that's just not, you know, like they say, it's only 2% of what goes on at the church, that one thing. So we ignore that and we enjoy the 98%. I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't just a, 
a side hustle, side problem, like a sidebar issue. Th this points to a grievous fault in their theology, in my opinion. It's not just, oh, gay people know. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's one little issue. We'll hopefully, you know, correct that down the road. No, to me, that points out a major flaw in, in their theology. And that's why I go at it. I think it's a huge, monstrous issue. And, and like I said, the church is willing to die on that hill right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I want to hopefully bring some change. That's, that's my hope. There's a that that reminds me of a um I don't know how recent this cartoon was where uh let me find it you, you talked about the grievous you know why why isn't it just a kind of a side issue it's it's in the like optional kind of stuff and uh you, you've got a picture of Jesus talking to a crowd and he said Jesus says the difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love means but I use love to determine what scripture means. Yeah, man, people, there's so many people hate that card. They don't, yeah. Well, the, hmm. um, the, again, I grew up evangelical, so I, I get, I get the reaction. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, so many of your, so many of your, the, your really compelling cartoons are juxtaposing a church building, but yeah. then Jesus. And yeah. so many hmm. people in this in between space or that are outsiders know what it's like for the church to not live up to Jesus. Yeah. And I think that, you know, spiritual abuse is kind of the, so egregious because you mm -hmm. expect, you're expecting Jesus people and you just get regular people or maybe yeah. sometimes worse. Yeah. And I, I think just as, as you use Jesus in the church and your art and the, the outsider sheep, what, you know what message are are you are you trying to send? What are you trying to wake up in people with that? These ideas of, um, you know, may, yeah, are we are we doing church or are we doing Jesus? Kind of, mm -hmm. it's more of a statement yeah. than a question. But. So, one of my mentors uh, as a pastor was Eugene Peterson, and he's just one of my heroes. And I've read all of his books and love what he had to say and talking about how you know, with the church, you it is what it is. You get what you got. That this is the people of God. This what you've got. The and and so I'm I'm not like this isn't a real church or the, these aren't real Christians. They are, and you you have to deal with what you got. And I'm not saying Jesus isn't present there or you know that if they, uh, you know I, I I'm not like that. But for the sake of my argument, you know I'll personalize personify rather uh, a church building to look like a like it's a character and then versus Jesus just to make the point and so for example one of my more popular ones is that Jesus and the church are sitting side by side in a counselor's office <laughs> and um, the church says we just don't have anything in common anymore <laughs> and, uh, I think it's <laughs> I've seen that one. <laughs> makes the point it just makes yeah. the point. a lot of people are like you know what that's actually kind of true but I, I don't mean to say, you know, that Jesus and the church are divorced. I don't mean that because, I, like I said earlier, I believe we're all connected. We're all one. The, the Christ, the, the mystical Christ, the God or the divine or the ultimate source or infinite source. or It's all we're all connected. We're all one. And so, you know, that's just for the sake of making a point. Or there's another one, uh, another cartoon of mine where the 
church is driving a car and Jesus is in the passenger seat. And Jesus says, remember when you used to let me drive? <laughs> and it's like, people understand what I mean by that. It's not, you know, that, uh, that, that, that the church, uh, it makes you wonder if it is going in the right direction at times. And mm -hmm. if, you know, like, uh, who was it that's saying, Jesus, take the wheel? <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like that with the church. Um, so that's, it's just for the sake of making a point. It's pretty powerful that one image can be challenging to the in church insiders and somehow also welcoming to the outsiders. Oh man. Yeah. I have people, you know, what's so cool. Uh, I love this actually, the diversity of the community that I'm amongst uh, where I have uh, church going believers and, and ministers, rabbis, imams, Muslims, Jews, uh, you know, uh, following my work, but also agnostics, also um, atheists. And they're like, you know, uh, I've had some atheists reach out to me and say, you know, I, I, I'm an atheist. I'm no longer a believer, but I really love your work. And it just makes me feel better about my past. And mm -hmm. uh, I just want to thank you that it's sort of healed a deep wound in my my story um, about my relationship to the church and belief and all that kind of thing. And so I think that's that's cool. I really think that's cool. And then believers, you know, church going believers or pastors or whatever feel challenged and and want things to change. And like like so, for example, um, just a couple of weeks ago, the United Methodist Church in in England um, overwhelmingly voted in favor of same sex marriage. And that's a huge breakthrough. And I know some of those pastors and they've reached out and, you know, they've used my cartoons and their services and stuff like that. Mm. So, you know what? Often things are very discouraging, but sometimes there's a light that shines through in the darkness. And I just hope the darkness doesn't overcome it. And uh, hopefully the light will just keep increasing. And uh, that's my hope. And I, and I hope I contribute to that with my, with my work. Yeah, that's great. That's a great way to look at it. It's clear that you're you're thoughtful in 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 what you're processing, and the I, I think that's a big part of it is the um you're not just putting out things there to upset people or to challenge. It really is this. It, I I would describe it as light. It's here's an idea. Not you're not trying to win something, right? You know, you're not trying to win an argument it's just it's more a question than an exclamation mark yeah. i have dreams of publishing a book one day called naked pastor x-rated where i have <laughs> a whole bunch of really naughty cartoons in there because a lot of things happen in um the marriage bed and uh in in marriage and in relationships and things like that that and i've done some of them you know where um uh, one of my cartoons where there's a couple in bed together, obviously having fun and, and God's standing over them with a watch saying, okay, guys, time's up. You're enjoying this too much. And, uh, <laughs> so cartoons kind of like that, that kind of, uh, you know, um, address a really serious issue, like the pure purity culture where you're, yeah. you know, you're only to have sex to have babies. And, uh, and so, you know, things like that. So, It'll it'd be fun maybe one day to come out with a book like well, that. <laughs> it, it addresses that what we think COVID maybe was and what your art represents, at least in the mind space, is the space to question something that 
is fine to question, but our culture said, thou shalt not question this right. thing. Thou shalt not talk about this thing. Right. Even though we all have this problem or many of us have this struggle or many of us, if we're not talking about it in church or, or we're not talking about problems or we're not challenging ourselves, then we don't right. have that space for that question. So it's a human problem. I mean, I, I totally, I started drawing cartoons with question marks in them years ago. And finally, I wrote a book called Questions Are the Answer. And uh, because I really do believe questions are a way to live. Uh, questions to me aren't a means to an end to come to a more fundamental answer. For me, questions are a way of life. It's exploring mystery. It's living in the mystery. Um, like the Christian classic book, The Cloud of Unknowing. Um, that's a, that cloud is full of questions, but when you get to that point in your spiritual walk where you're comfortable with that and it becomes a way of life and you're, you're used to living in the, you know, valley of darkness and the spiritual dark night of the soul, etc., mm. and, and it becomes, you know, your way of life, then it, it becomes a beautiful thing. And, but it's a, it's a human problem. It's not just a religious problem. You have the same thing in the military where you do not question you have the right. same thing at Amazon where you do not question. You have the same thing in science where you do not question um, the, the status quo or, or the um, dominant theories and, and so on. So it, it happens everywhere. And I know people who have joined atheist communities um, that say, you know what, it's just like church in there and, <laughs> and believe. And uh, it is it's true. It's, it's a human problem. And, and you probably see it at your work, you know, where you... The, there's there's guidelines and boundaries and and things and uh, you, you shouldn't ask too many questions so that's a universal thing but the church the church is especially good at it yeah because the, the those boundaries are not just like cultural they are they are eternal like the eternal consequences of going across this, across this boundary right yeah the question means you might be wrong you don't just lose your job you lose your soul yeah, right, so, right. Very yeah. powerful. The stakes have been turned up. The volume's up on ten on kind of every uh, every issue. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could tell us about the, your Sophia series. Mm. Yeah. Um, so there's 62 drawings. Um, I started drawing them um, two years after I left the ministry. One Sunday afternoon, I was just drawing um, on a piece of paper with my pen and pencil and ended up drawing a, a little a girl holding up her teddy bear to a monstrous grizzly bear that's towering over above her, standing on its haunches. And I was like, Lisa, my wife, she's like, what's that? Like, you've never drawn anything like that. I was like, I it was totally new for me. Never drawn anything like that in my life. And um, it, that was the first drawing, and that began sort of a, a flow of these drawings that came out over the next two years. And my wife's a nurse, so she was working on nights on the weekends. And so I would just pull out a bottle of wine, crank up the music, and start drawing. And then whatever came to my – I didn't plan anything. I just let happen what happened. And, and so – after about the eighth or ninth drawing, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm drawing my story. This is me. This is about me. Sophia mm. represents, well, I didn't even have a name at that point. And I decided on the name Sophia because it means wisdom in Greek. 
and yeah. also um, the divine feminine and so on. And also she represented my female aspect, my soul, my, my spiritual nature was feminine in its expression and, and she, and it was all about her liberation. So I realized I was drawing my, my liberation from, you know, being in the ministry and being in the church all those years and under the burden of religion and under the microscope and in the fishbowl and all that for all those years and being paid by the church and struggling financially and all this kind of stuff. I realized that, that I was drawing my own liberation. So I put them all together and wrote meditations for them all. And uh, that's how I came up with the book, The Liberation of Sophia. And you know what? That book is so loved by so many people, especially women. And um, it is my one of my most proudest projects because it was it kind of happened to me. And um, yeah. it was a pretty, pretty weird, but I love it. Yeah, that's what I, th- I I liked that aspect of the story, how you're putting this stuff onto the paper mm. and realizing later, like, well, it's me, you know? Yeah. It's just really, it's really I cool. realized what I was drawing one, it was called Cave, where she's standing in front of a, a big black hole of a cave with rocks all around and vines and looks really scary. And she's deciding whether or not to go in. And I, I when I was drawing that, I was like, oh. I I knew I was drawing my journey about going into this dark, you know, cave of self-analysis and trying to figure stuff out. Because when you grow up in the church, you grow up in Christianity and you're in the ministry for so many years. Now, all of a sudden, I'm out on my own and feel totally unprepared, Mm -hmm. uneducated, unskilled, if you name it. Uh, and had to, I had to figure things out. I had to figure out who I was outside of my identity as a pastor and as a Christian and all these kinds of things. I had to figure out what I was, who I was, what I was going to do, um, how I was going to make money, how I was going to live in the world. It was, it was terrifying. So this, this actually was kind of like a purging. And then when I was, I drew the last one called Light, where she walks out of a door into the bright light. It was over. The inspiration stopped just like that. Wow. And it was over. It was done. And so was I. My healing was complete. And Mm. uh, so it's a pretty amazing story, if I must say so myself. That is amazing. (laughs) As you were saying that, I was like, I feel like the closest I'm ever going to get to that is like a really nice spreadsheet. Like. (laughs) (laughs) like, (laughs) I'm missing out. I I need to take up something. Something that I can Oh, that spreadsheet was me all along. (laughs) (laughs) I hate spreadsheets, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's just, I just, um, I just love hearing about your, your story and how you're approaching things in general. Um, Did you, when you left church, in, you left churches completely? Um, I feel like I'm still in the game. Um, even though I might not be wearing the Jersey and even though I might not be recognized by the referees, yeah, you're streaking. Team. That's called streaking <laughs> naked pastor. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Yeah. Maybe you're on the pitch. I'm on the pitch. I'm on the fields, but, uh, um, I won't go away. Right. That, that's, that's part of my, 
you know, haters out there is like, why don't you just shut up? Just go away already. And, um, but I won't, I'm going to stick around. And there are, you know, I, um, for example, just a couple Sundays ago, I preached at a church in California, um, a black congregation um, in California via Zoom. And um, I had a wonderful time. And uh, there's a church near here. It takes about an hour to drive there. Uh, the church I mentioned earlier that left the vineyard um, and became independent. And I'm friends with that congregation. We love going there and hanging out with the people there and the pastor. They're wonderful. And, you know, because you can sit there and you feel no pressure. There's no pressure. There's no expectations. It's just wonderful and free. And the messages and the music is just very real, open, honest, raw, human, Mm. and uh, unadorned, not fancy. And um, I like that. So, and there are churches like that around. There are, there are some, if you, and, and that's why I say to people, if you can find a church like that, where you, you feel free to be who you are, there's no pressure. You're not being controlled or there's no expectations upon you. Stay, man. You found a, a rare gem. Enjoy it. It, it. it might not be really fancy preaching or fancy music or, you know, a lot of programs or all this kind of thing, but at least you'll have community and um, you'll have a place you can call your spiritual home. That's when I, that's the one thing I find with people who deconstruct and leave the church. The number one thing they miss is community. It's like terrible. They don't know how to replace it. Right. So it's a, it's a real difficult road for many people. So if you can't find that one church, even if it's like 20, 40 people, very plain, um, and, but they're just real and love you, as you are, seriously, don't expect anything from you. Um, and you can just be there, no pressure. You can sit up, stand, sit down, stand up, give or not. That's wonderful. Enjoy it. Yeah, that's one thing that I've, the the, the feeling of freedom. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that I've really, I was, I was surprised going through this whole deconstruction and moving away from the church that I grew up in my that, uh, that my family's been in for a hundred some years. Oh, wow. Um, the feeling of freedom and lightness that I didn't expect to be there because, I mean, Jesus says my burden is light, but I feel like I've been carrying around this weight of expectation and uh, extra rules and yeah. all this stuff. And now it's, it's gone. It's, it's like, wow, I, I'm not supposed to feel good about not going to church all the time. <laughs> you know, you're just supposed to feel bad, right? Yeah. I remember the first Sunday I, I wasn't the pastor of the church anymore. And uh, I happened to have a nice Cuban cigar uh, handy. <laughs> and uh, in Canada, that we can, we can have Cuban cigars. And it was a Cohiba. And uh, I had a nice cup of coffee. And I was on my back deck. And... Just smoking the, my cigar, drinking my coffee, the sun was shining. I thought, this is, this is unbelievable. I was like, I just couldn't believe it. Um, and Sunday mornings are very, very quiet, hardly any traffic, and it was just, wow. It was, it was a wonderful feeling. Of course, you know, Lisa and I had to go through major adjustments after that because you know we had to figure out how to live our lives and how to be a couple. Because we were basically joined at the hip as a pastor and wife and kind of thing. So, it, you know, we went through some pretty serious rocky road. 
but um, we made it through that. But yeah, Sunday mornings are kind of special now. Yeah, I believe you have a one of your courses is about when changing beliefs change your changes your marriage. Yeah, till doubt do us part. Yeah, this year. Yeah, till doubt do us part. Uh, yeah. Because um, uh, I see a lot of marriages blow up um, mm -hmm. when they go through deconstruction uh, because they, like Lisa and I, she was 19 when we got married. I was 21, mm -hmm. Pentecostal <laughs> kids, and joined like completely on the same page. Bible college, seminary, ministry, side by side, mm -hmm. identical and meshed, you know. And then when I left the church, the ministry, our kids had left home as adults. Uh, we had to file for bankruptcy because um, we were so poor mm -hmm. after so many years of ministry. Um, she decided to go back to go to university and get her nursing degree. She was 48 when she started. I lost my job, my vocation, my sense of meaning and purpose in life, my mission, mm. um, our friends. We lost our friends. Uh, yeah. It was like a major perfect storm. And uh, our marriage almost didn't make it. There was a couple of years there where it was touch and go. And uh, we had to figure out, we had to renegotiate. Okay, how are we going to be a couple? You know, our, our beliefs are different. Our lives are different. Our circle of friends are different. Um, you're being a nurse. I'm being a whatever. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it was a really, really hard go. It took a lot of therapy and coaching and counseling and talking and to, to finally figure out um, how to how to be married again. So, yeah, so I wrote that book to let us part. And it is um, a course I'm developing as well when changing beliefs change your marriage. Actually, that can be applied to any relationship when, um, you know, you differ from the beliefs of your parents or a friend or whatever, how to negotiate those kind of treacherous waters because they can, you know, when you're on different pages like that, it can cause tension, conflict, and even yeah. a divorce, right? Especially if that feels like the foundation that you started on. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. That's what you started having in common. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but the, you know, we found out, we, we realized, um, like I, we asked ourselves, what did we fall in love with? Did I, I, I didn't, did I fall in love with your beliefs or did I fall in love with the believer? Hmm. And, um, you know, I remember the first time I laid eyes on her when she came into the cafeteria in, at college. I, I got to admit, it wasn't her beliefs I was attracted to. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's, you know, we got back to that fundamental what was it about each other that we loved, you know? And so it was, I, I didn't fall in love with what she thought. I fell in love with how she thought. And, and, right. and, and so that, and how she is as a person. So, you know, we, we figured that out and now our marriage is better than ever, but that's why I wrote this book is to help other people hopefully find their way through those very rocky times in their marriage when your beliefs are changing. So I, I would recommend this book if you if you're experiencing that. Um, I'm I'm talking to your audience now, but if if you are experiencing that, you, a lot of people do find it very helpful. They're very short little chapters because I, they're actually Instagram posts, hmm. which allow 300 words. So there's 300 word chapters and a cartoon related to each one, and um, a lot of them are funny. Some are poignant. Some are sad. Some are 
you know, uh, insightful. So, yeah, uh, but it, it's a big deal. I love helping people through the deconstruction process, whether you're an individual or a couple or a church. I think it's for me, and this is another theme in my cartoons, deconstruction isn't a bad thing. It's a good thing. This is growth. Yeah. And um, to appreciate it and embrace it. What other advice kind of to wrap up here? What would you give to people who are going through this deconstruction process, wherever they may be in, in along the, along the, that process? Uh, fasten your seatbelt, wear a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's good advice no, it used to be it used to be like I said earlier a very lonely road there was no um, cohesion to the people who were deconstructing we were kind of like refugees fleeing a war-torn country with just the shirts on our back and um, just wandering homeless uh, and looking for a place to land but there was no place to land so now it's the point where, for example, the Naked Pastor community on Instagram, for example, is full of people who are deconstructing and we just love and support one another. It's, it's fun to be there. And so people are finding support. So that's the number one thing. And, and that's what I hear from people. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going crazy. I'm not alone. And this is actually growth. This is a good thing. And so that's, that's how I would. That's my advice is you're not going crazy. You're not alone. And this is a really good thing. Embrace it. Enjoy it. Well, thank you so much for the advice and just for the, the art, the books, the, what you've been doing. Thanks guys. Uh, yeah. Appreciate it. Really helping us and, and a lot of people in our shoes. So cool. Yeah. It's an honor to talk to you. Your stuff means a lot to me and, and my family and friends. Oh, so thanks. That means a lot to me. I I love hearing things like that because it helps me keep going. So thank you. All right. Well, I hope to talk to you sometime soon. Yeah. Anytime, guys. Thanks. All these messages I thought you wanted to hear. But it only takes a whisper. Hey, thanks for listening to Following the Fire. If you'd like to see show notes for this episode, which includes links to everything we mentioned as well as all the scriptures, head on over to followingthefire.com and just click on this episode. There's also contact information on the website. Let us know what you think about the show and if you have any suggestions for future topics. Also, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you could. It really helps other folks find the show. And as always, thanks to the fabulous Daniel Wheat for the theme song and the music for the episode. You can find more of his stuff on Apple Music and Spotify. See you later. 